You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Tad Williams is the author of series that include Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn, Otherland, Shadow March, and novels that include Tail Chaser's Song, The War of the Flowers, and The Dragons of Ordinary Farm, written with Deborah Beale. Thank you for joining me, Tad. Thanks for having me. Tad, there's a portion of your website called The Dog Blog. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm guessing this is an indication that you're a dog lover. Well, I am a dog lover, although originally the uh, the name dog was my designation on the uh before it was tadwilliams.com, it was just our, it was our Shadow March site. And um, when I was spending a great deal of time on the board there in the first few years, um, I, that became my board nickname for, for, you know, when people would refer to me. And it was largely, I think it had to do with that, the old joke about, um, you know, the, I'm trying to remember now which one it is, but it's the sort of dyslexics and their belief in dog and that kind of thing. And, you know. So dog is my co-pilot. Dog is my co-pilot, exactly. And since I was kind of the, the, the you know, it was, it was my board, so, so I was <laughs> essentially God, but I refused to be called that. So they said, well, we'll call you dog. And I said, okay. <laughs> and so for a long time, that was just sort of what everybody called me. So it, it became, you know, various, like my, my little one section there was called the dog house and dog blog and all that. So even though I'm now mostly doing a lot of stuff on other places and the then the website, um, I'm I'm that's who I still am there and will always be. You know, but uh, I also have many dogs. Oh, good, good. You're a musician, aren't you? Uh, or were yeah, in off your, and on, off and on. Yeah, no, I mean I'm still playing, oh, and really? I, I still play with many of the same people that uh, we all played w- together in the '70s. Um, mm, that but, sounds uh, familiar. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I mean, I'm 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 a musician only in the sense that I play music. To I have would fun. not I would not put myself in the same. Well, I I'm actually I just started playing bass a couple of years ago. I was mostly a singer in the old band. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my musicianship is not anything anybody is going to be, you know, um, getting too excited about, but uh, I'm a decent singer and I'm a songwriter and yeah, it's been a big part of my life for most of my life. Well, that kind of stuff tends to inform your writing too, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, most of my metaphors about writing, um, when people ask me about, well, how do you do this, or what does it feel like, or they're mostly musical. Um, in terms of writing big books, it's very much a process that I think of as, as musical, in terms of you feel beats, uh, you develop light motifs, you know, there, there are many different ways in which the, the analogies are, are musical. So you're a you're a symphonic writer then? Well, uh, in the sense of the sheer size of the stuff, <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I mean that you know that kind of instantly connotes high culture, and I don't know if I would put myself in that category exactly. But uh, yeah, in terms of just the sheer size of what you're doing and the the uh, the attempt to, to to bring everything together and have it be resonant and have you know certain things coming up and down and showing up you know, repeatedly. Well, that sounds pretty interesting. Now, are are so, as a as a musician, you're you're playing bass, and is this something you do kind of regularly? I mean, you know, do you well before the last several months, we've just moved out of one house and mm-hmm. into another house, so that's kind of life has sort of gone on hold for for months and months. <laughs> yeah. But other than that, yeah, I try to. How much does Northern California inform your fiction? 
Well, um, I kind of, I'm pretty quintessentially Northern Californian in a lot of ways. Um, my wife is always amused by that. She's British. Um, you will, you will talk to her at some point, I know. And uh, she will quite often, you know, as, as most fish can't really tell you much about water, I can't necessarily, <laughs> in, you know, pick out all the things that describe me or as, as Northern Californian, but I, I know I very much am in my approach to things. And, uh, you know, I, I've, except for some short times living elsewhere, including London, for several years, um, I've always lived in Northern California. I, I love the place. I really, you know, have a deep sort of spiritual attachment to it, as well as the fact that all my stuff is here. Now, um, you said you have a deep spiritual attachment. And that's kind of interesting because I think that that probably, uh, again, is something that works through, uh, works out, works through, and ends up in your fiction in a kind of a subterranean way. Well, actually, one of the interesting things I, I realized when I was uh, when I was younger, um, I you know, read The Lord of the Rings for the first time when I was maybe eleven, and when they were preparing to do the uh, the film, the Peter Jackson version mm -hmm. of the film. I remember make, I made a decision to go back and reread it one last time. It had been a few years since I last read it, and I wanted to make sure I read one last time and really kind of to help lock in my own particular images mm -hmm. before the movie came. Because not that I had anything against the movie, but I, I just those that was part of my childhood, right? 11, 12, sure. 13, when I, I discovered that. those yeah. books. Yeah. And so I didn't want to lose that by having it written over too, too easily. Um, but the funny thing was, is as I was reading um, and really kind of committing bits of it to memory again for the first time in a long time, I suddenly realized that every single image of, of landscape, which of course is a huge part of The Lord of the Rings and was a huge part of Tolkien, his, his connection to the land, um, that uh, every single thing was, uh, um, they were Northern California and, and California landscapes. Wow. So they had nothing to do with what was actually written on the printed page. You know, they had everything to do with things that I had seen when I was a kid, driving in the car with my parents, um, going on camping trips and things like that. And and as a result, I, I, I'm realizing it really did they didn't follow the descriptions that Tolkien was giving at all. But those those descriptions at the time that that triggered off the only stuff I knew I could compare it to, but then that became my mental images. So when I went back and read it, I, I, I realized for the first time that the Lord of the Rings, as far as I was concerned, took place in the Sierras. You know, that was, it was, you know, all the landscapes and all that. They were, you know, it was clearly the Sierras in my mind because that's where we'd driven when I was a kid and those are the kind of places we went, so. So yeah, I mean, that's one way. And then obviously as I've gone on and written you know, fantasies myself, that, that's informed my own kind of ideas of what the natural world should look like, although I'm a little better traveled now than when I was 10, so. I've been speaking with Tad Williams. His newest book with Deborah Beale is The Dragons of Ordinary Farm. Thank you for joining me, Tad. Thank you very much for having me. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>